0: This is the Epilog Audio
1: Experience.
0: It's quite an intimate thing, interviewing people, right? So like often you are asking some of the same questions that you would on a date or you would if you were interested in someone romantically. And I think that if, because I wasn't, I hadn't been doing it very long. I mean, that was literally my first story. So I had no skills in sort of like setting the boundaries of an interview it's hard cause you watch everyone around you right like doing all these things that you feel like they're all <laughs> they're all on the path and following their dream and doing things one after the other to get there and you can kind of paint a really neat path of how other people are doing things from the outside but you like you'd never know enough about someone's story to know how purposeful any of that is and how like how planned out it is and it's just never as straightforward when you're inside it so yeah, I think like just counting, like valuing all the skills you're gathering along the way and all the skills that you're getting, even if it feels like you're not moving forward or something like that. It's easy to look at other people and think they have this neat narrative, but it's um, it's pretty certain that they don't. And it means you've got friends outside of your industry, which like for production, like for uh, people who sort of deal in stories I think is really essential because otherwise you just start – operating in an echo chamber
1: Hello and welcome to the passion people podcast. You're listening to season two, episode 19. The passion people podcast is an endeavor to chronicle and showcase stories of individuals who are making their passion manifest in tangible ways. The intent is to inspire, motivate and move you our listener to action and get you closer to your passion. The stories that you hear may not be heard anywhere else. These are people who are on their journey to success and may not have already reached them. And that's the point. Learn about people's struggles. Learn about their failures. Learn about how they overcame their shortcomings. And get to where they are today. For our conversation, I talked to Jess O'Callaghan, who is a festival manager at Audiocraft, which is an audio creators' festival in Australia. Jess... Is extremely passionate about creating audio content and she is the festival manager and a podcast producer for AudioCraft. Jess is living her passion in a job that pays her to do whatever it is she's is passionate about. In today's episode, we dive into how she reached where she is, her winding career path, her moments of uncertainty, and the evolution of audio, podcasting, and journalism. If you are a podcaster, if you are into writing, if you are a content creator, I would highly encourage you to stay tuned for this episode. I'm sure you're going to love it. Let's dive in. Jess first off, thank you so much for being on the Passion People podcast and I'm so happy to be talking to you.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: This, I guess a good place to start would be like a small introduction of yourself and what you do. And an answer to the question of what's your passion?
0: Yeah, so uh, I am a producer and the festival manager at Audiocraft. So we're an Australian podcasting company and I manage our podcast festival half of the year or half of my time and the other half of the time I'm producing podcasts. And my passion is, uh, yeah, creative audio storytelling, I suppose.
1: Well. That's awesome. And uh, so how, how, how did all of this start?
0: Um, so I've always worked in radio, um, which, you know, isn't exactly the same as podcasting, but, um, you know, has some similar skills involved. So um, like way back when uh, I was growing up in Port Macquarie, which is like a a smallish town, like a regional town in New South Wales in Australia, um, and I got a job there in commercial radio, which is kind of like the, you know, those like greatest hits, music stations, um, sort of playing different songs. And then someone will just come in and um, back announce a song, say what was playing. So I had this job, which was like pressing the buttons for that radio station when I was in high school, when I was 15 and it was just like a way to earn money. Um I didn't think it was a career job at all. I just thought it was like a fun high school job to have. Um, and yeah, that kind of like set me on the path to to where I am today. I guess I didn't know it at the time. I was like a real bludger in that job. <laughs> but it um, yeah, that was kind of the start of it all.
1: Okay. And uh, uh, did you have family that worked in radio as well?
0: Yeah, like my, my granddad was on the radio Um, when I was – I mean, he was on the radio his whole life really, like from when he was a teenager until um, like a couple of years before he died, like when he was in his 80s. He was on the radio. Uh, he did breakfast radio in Sydney for like 40 years. Um, and so I think that's why I didn't see it as a career. I was like totally not keen to go into it as a career because um, – You know, it was like the daggy thing that everyone in my family did. (laughs) Um (laughs) But yeah, like I just saw it as, yes, a way to make some cash. So yeah, my dad was in radio my My granddad was like really big in radio um, and – but I I really wanted to be a writer, like be a a journalist or, yeah, write. You know, at different points when I was a teenager, I wanted to be like a movie writer, like a screenwriter or be a journalist, which is what I ended up studying was journalism and I never saw radio related at all. Like I saw it as a really different craft and a really different thing um, and never thought that – there was a way of crossing over the two things. Like I thought I was earning some cash doing radio and then I was like studying journalism. And at some point I'd just give up radio and, um, you know, focus on my writing. Um, and I guess this was a, like at a time where being a journalist wasn't very easy. Like there aren't, it's still not easy. There are heaps, there aren't very many jobs in journalism or writing um, in Australia or, you know, most places at the moment. So, um, yeah, it was just like a a lucky coincidence that I decided to work a bit in radio because it's ended up like setting me up for a really cool career
1: right and I guess uh, even even journalism right now uh, is going through like transformation right because we're, we're seeing the shift from print to digital and even in digital we're seeing the transformation from like uh, free news content to subscription based content. that's what we notice in India at least. Do you see something similar in Australia as well?
0: Yeah, totally. And it used to be um, like – I guess when I was studying journalism, it was when there, were being, there was heaps of layoffs from traditional newspapers. And so, um, you know, people were used to paying for news, paying for newspapers and things like that. And then we went through this real period where no one was paying for anything and everyone got laid off. And I think that the cool way it's going now, like with those sort of subscription models and things like that is there's like a Um, I mean, there's still like a real deficit of journalism and like local journalism. It's really hard to know how to make things viable at a local level, which I'm sure, um, yeah, you guys have in India as well. Like it's really hard here to get people to cover like local councils or local things that are happening because, um, yeah, like the big subscriptions kind of, favor um national coverage and things that are going on nationally or at a state level. So, but there is this like premium sort of content that's happening and like that's why podcasting's been so exciting because it was this like opportunity to still tell long-form stories and still like engage in journalism that has meat to it and has some like depth to it. Um and still write like but uh But, yeah, like in a totally different way (laughs) to what I thought writing was and what I thought journalism was when I was imagining. Like I think I had a picture in my mind that I would be like a journalist in a movie from the 70s (laughs) and I would be like, you know, typing away at a typewriter and like (laughs) really, you know, spending ages on one story and getting it right and, you know, that sort of journalism. Um, but it just isn't, I mean, some people still do it, but it's it's not. Um, and it also, I kind of discovered like along the way that it wasn't really the career for me. Like it's not something that once I put it into practice, that's the stuff I found really hard. And like the stuff I found um, I was drawn to was like producing other people. And um, like I really love producing podcasts and producing radio because um you get to boss people around but you don't often have to do (laughs) like if I know what the host's strength is I can kind of tell them to play to it and I don't have to then expose myself in that way you know like oh really push this person on this point and and the host has to do it and and I'm a producer so I don't have to um get my hands dirty (laughs) like I enjoy that so so, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know, even if journalism was still really viable and being a writer was still a really, um, like, viable career to have, I think that maybe I would still be drawn to radio. Right.
1: And so what, what happens after your uh, stint at uh, Port Macquarie?
0: Yeah, so I moved to Melbourne for uni. So I moved to Melbourne to study journalism and while I was there, I thought I'd make some money on the side by working in radio again. I'm um, still not realising it was like a career path. Um, <laughs> and I got this job. <laughs> uh, like someone should have told me at some point, like, you could just do this and not have to study. <laughs> but I studied journalism um, at Melbourne Uni. And yeah, like in, so I worked in breakfast radio at a commercial radio station called 3AW, which is like talkback radio. So a lot of it's political and journalism, and then some of it's um, really silly. Like some of it, you get people to call in and um, talk about all sorts of nonsense. Like you just try and think of a, you know, you'd have a pet segment or a gardening segment um, and people would call in and ask questions about pets or, and ask the experts different questions like I always joke that the happiest time in my life and the happiest job I've ever had was producing gardening talkback because all the questions are just, like, so delightful. <laughs> like, people just talking about, like, oh, my roses have this problem and how do I fix it? And the gardening expert would say, well, you do this. And, you know, oh, is it pl- time to plant hydrangeas yet? And they were just all really sweet callers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh yeah it's like it was quite a weird like all the other callers could often get quite angry like you get quite um divisive topics and people calling in and giving their opinions on them so I always really liked that gardening show um but yeah I was still doing that like and it was a lot of breakfast radio like you'd wake up at three or four in the morning and like I'd ride my bike into the station and like set up the show and it'd go to air at like five or six in the morning and um yeah, you'd produce it through to midday or something and then go have a sleep. Um, and it was all live radio. Like, podcasting, it existed at the time. Like, it's been around since 2004. But at that station, we'd use it as, like, catch-up radio. So things that went to air would then be podcast, some some of them. Um, there but is. there was no sense of, because it was talkback, like, there was no sense of being interactive with the hosts or anything because it was all Obviously, podcast. they had no mechanism to, um, like, they weren't thinking about engaging their podcast audience at all. It was just for someone who might have missed the show, um, hey. which is, like, really weird to think about now. Like, one of my first jobs there was um, cutting out all of the ads <laughs> so that things could be podcast, because they were like, oh, you can't put the ads in the podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Um, okay.
0: Yeah, which now feels wild, because it's like, well... You should be putting ads like they could have also sold ads for the podcast, but yeah. And I don't know if the advertisers would have like known, yeah, just like now advertising and podcasts in Australia is really big and there's a lot of money kind of in that area now. But, um, especially in commercial radio, like that sort of catch up podcasting has money there. But at the time, it was like, nope, take them out. And I just have to sit there and cut all the ads out. Um, (laughs) but, yeah, like doing that, and then also like, um, uh, like archiving all of the tape. So things that went to air, I'd burn it onto a CD um, and put it in a cupboard. And that was like a lot of. They thought I was listening to that the programs that were going to air, but it actually was around that time that. I started to discover podcasting, so I um, was listening to a lot of podcasts. Like I think I listened to every episode of This American Life that had been made up until that point. Just at work, like I had eight hours a day to just listen, and no one knew. Like I had my headphones on and would listen to This American Life and Radio Lab and some some Australian shows that were just starting to be made, like some creative shows that were coming out of the ABC here. Um, and out of community radio. So did like a lot of listening and, um, yeah, that's kind of like what set me on the path of podcasting. I think it was like around that time that I realized that radio could be creative and like radio could be an outlet for, um, for writing, like you can write and then you can have it appear in someone's mouth in a podcast and it could be like a really effective way of expressing yourself creatively, which until that time I just hadn't seen it all. I just thought I can either spend the rest of my life answering phone calls and putting them to air and being like quite bored or I could try and become a writer. But I didn't see that there was any overlap in that <laughs> in that diagram until, um, yeah, until around I guess it was like – uh 20 2011 and that was when huh? i first started to realize that i could do something that combined those things and that i had like a bit of a head start cuz you always feel like you're behind in your career or you're behind in you know you're behind everyone else in some way you're like look at everyone else you're like oh they've been working on this for ages right and oh they've got all these leg ups and all this and especially coming from outside the city and then moving to the city and going like oh everyone here knows someone everyone's got an in and everyone's been doing things since they were 10 years old or whatever um and I didn't think I had any of that
1: but how did you how did you get across that mindset
0: uh like I went to a I went to a talk at Melbourne Writers Festival. So it's like a, I guess like the Jaipur Writers Festival, like it's all these writers come together and talk about um, their books, but also talk about like ideas and things like that. Not all the programming's about, um, about the writing, but this session was something about, it was about the future of journalism. And there was this guy who came out from the States named Jay Rosen, who's a journalism academic. And he writes a lot about Uh, the future of journalism and like the transformative um, nature of digital journalism. And a lot of what was being said at this festival was really scary. Like I was a a student of journalism at the time and um, a lot of the talk at the festival was about how glum everything was, how uh, there were no jobs and things were changing for the worst. But something that he said on this panel that I went to was That some of the best journalism he'd heard in the last ten years, or something like that, was giant pools of money, which is or giant pool of money, which is an episode of This American Life uh, about the global financial crisis, and it was produced along with Planet Money, and so with these two podcasts or these two radio shows that have a really big podcast audience got together and um, did some amazing journalism. It's still one of my favourite pieces of radio. And he played a little clip from it and he spoke about how they made it and how it was um, something that wouldn't have existed in the past. Um, And it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, radio can have good journalism (laughs) and it doesn't need to be immediate like that was the thing about radio journalism in Australia that I knew about at the time I mean now I know about sort of our rich history of journalism on the radio but um the what the stuff I'd been exposed to had all been really immediate and really um like sort of breaking news happening on the radio and unfolding whereas This was sort of introducing me to the world of audio documentary. And also the way he spoke about it was like, this is where it's at. Like you should be getting into this. Like if you're a writer, that's what you should be interested in. Like if you're a journalist or a journalism student, you should be skilling up in audio production. You should be learning how to record interviews and like tell, you should be learning about narrative and learning about story and how to tell good stories in different ways that aren't, the traditional um, like upside down pyramid of, of news writing. And yeah, that just blew my mind. And I went, I remember thinking like, Oh, I've, I've got those skills. Like I can do those things already. Like I do have a leg up. I have been doing this since I was 15. Like that was really transformative because all of a sudden I wasn't, years behind everyone else i was like ahead of everyone else i was like yes i've got a secret power and it's radio <laughs> like it was such a relief <laughs> and yeah like that's when i started i'd actually accidentally listened to an episode of this american life before and i didn't realize what it was for years okay. like it used to play on australian radio and there's an episode called switched at birth which is about uh to like two children who were switched at birth (laughs) um and yeah it's such a fascinating story and it's really gripping and I had a um I was driving down to the coast with uh, a friend and my dad and we were in the car we're just flicking channels and we heard part of that story and we couldn't turn it off and we got to – we were driving down to the coast to eat fish and chips and I remember we got to the fish and chip store and we were – none of us wanted to be the one to go in and order the fish and chips because we wanted to keep listening to this story and we just sat there in the car like (laughs) mesmerised for ages because they're quite long. like It went for almost an hour and, yeah, we had to wait till the end of that story. So uh, once I started going through the back catalogue, I went, oh, it's that story from the fish and chip shop. Like (laughs) – I remember this. It actually, <laughs> I had heard it before, but apart like that was really sort of changed everything. Just going to that talk for me, and yeah, I started like when I was at three AW and at that station archiving and listening to all of those podcasts. It was on purpose. Like I, I all of a sudden wanted to listen to everything that there was and every podcast that had been made and everything in that sort of narrative, creative audio style. Like there was. um like Third Coast International Audio Festival, which is a lot of where audio craft comes from in Australia. So they're a, a um, an audio makers festival in Chicago in the States and they'd been around since the early 2000s and had been really had come out of that revival of audio documentary stories and the way that people were using the internet to access them. So they are... Uh, they have like a podcast and oh they have two podcasts actually and one is called resound and it was around at that time as well where they take some of the best creative audio from around the world and showcase it on that podcast and they also have podcasts of their conference sessions so that was something I dove into while I was meant to be working at 3AW um, and I mean I was doing the job at the same time but I was not listening to everything I was archiving <laughs> I was just burning it onto cds and putting it in a cupboard um, and yeah listening to 3 listening to This American Life listening to Planet Money and Radio Lab. And the backlog of all of these uh, Australian shows as well, so like 360 documentaries, and some new shows that were coming up uh, in a couple of years after that. So Radiotonic and Soundproof. There was this real sort of exciting time for creative audio makers, and um, yeah, it felt exciting. So people kind of point to when Serial happened as when all of when and when I like when Apple got the podcast app. Um, sort of automatically installed on iPhones is when podcasting really blew up. So that was in uh, 2014. But it did feel exciting mm-hmm. like a few years before that. I remember there was like a real energy in in Melbourne where I was and in Sydney there was this real energy around it being an exciting place to, to be and be working in. So um, through that I kind of found there's a, a community around a show called All the Best here. So it's a really cool show and it still exists too. It's still running and doing really cool stuff. Um, they're a, a documentary program out of FBI Radio in Sydney and they do narrative storytelling. Um, and there was a really cool community in Melbourne and in Sydney around, uh, around that show. And so around that same time, I kind of got involved in All the Best and started learning how to make this stuff and, um, I my first story is really embarrassing now. <laughs> um but it was for all the best, like my first on air creative audio story. Uh-huh. And, and what was it about? <laughs> it's so I used to think that to pitch them a story you had to be really I th- I thought I had to It had to be the best story, you know, ever made um, before I could even think of pitching it to them. So I just was hanging around and not making anything for quite a long time. And then they had this thing called they do every so often like a 24-hour challenge And they say to everyone, uh, we're going to pick a day. And in these 24 hours, you have to find a story and report it out and make it. And usually now that I've made, so for a while I EP'd that show. And now that I've worked on that show, I know it's kind of a trick to get everyone to make a story because you're out of things that week. (laughs) But um, at the time I was like, yes, this is my chance. Like the bar's lowered just enough that I can clear it. And Um, I was catching the train, which is like a, an eight hour train trip. Oh God, no, it was, yeah, no, it would have been, so I would have caught the train from Melbourne to Sydney, which is like 12 hours. And then another eight hours up to Port Macquarie. And, um, I pitched just, just recording people on that train and interviewing people on that train. And, uh, that would, I would find a narrative while I was on the train and they went, yeah, go for it. So I took this train trip and I just seized up. Like I couldn't, I was like, oh, I can't talk to all these strangers on the train. Like, what have I promised? This is going to be terrible. And I just sat there nervously for so long with my recorder. And uh, this guy came and sat down next to me and he, um, <laughs> he, I didn't realise. So he was... Uh, I think he was Pakistani, so we had a bit of a language barrier, but we could communicate enough, like we were chatting. Um, but sometimes I would misunderstand what he was saying, and sometimes he'd misunderstand what I was saying. And I asked if I could interview him, and and I did, and um, I realised when they came around to collect our dinner order that he uh, had been flirting with me the whole time. That he was actually like <laughs> thought that we were <laughs> thought that we were like interacting in a romantic way. <laughs> and i just thought <laughs> i thought you know i thought he was worried that the record it was too noisy for the recording but actually was asking if like we could have some privacy <laughs> it was just like totally anyway it was really embarrassing it was all on tape i was like mortified um that i'd like led on this guy and i ended up just kind of like i was like oh god i just anyway <laughs> it was bad it was all on tape and then i was like too nervous to interview anyone else I got home and I called the editor and I was like, I can't, it's not a story. And he helped me turn it into a story. Like he helped me, he goes, well, it seems like it's got a good beginning and it's got a good middle, but you just don't have the ending yet. Like nothing happened with this guy <laughs> on the train. Um, and so he goes, this editor who was, um, Jesse Cox, who has actually passed away now. He was kind of a wonder kind of Australian audio. Um, Like did he, uh, passed away in his early 30s, died from cancer in his early 30s last at the start of last year. But he um, he really like changed Australian audio, changed the face of Australian audio and trained so many young people through this radio show all the best. And he was on the phone to me after I'd kind of crashed and burned. And he said, yeah, you've got a beginning and ending, a middle and you don't have an end yet. So just think about it and we'll come up with an end. And he had me call my best friend, Heidi, and... Talk to her about what had happened, <laughs> and record that, and uh, like record me talking about my failure to get a story, basically, and um, you know, <laughs> accidentally
1: getting sexually I know harassed it on the jolly. train. so <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> he,
0: it was really great because it suddenly I wasn't too scared to make something anymore because I'd failed in such a spectacular way, but it, there was still a story, right? <laughs> so yeah, it kind of made me think because. I think until that point I thought everything had to go to plan for it to be a good story. And what Jesse kind of taught me making that story was that sometimes when it doesn't go to plan, you get a better story and you just need to make sure it still satisfies the listener. Like you still get that ending to go like, oh, that's what happened, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, they need the closure. Yeah, you need something there. (laughs) Um, You can't just end with realising that you're... (laughs) Sitting next to someone who thinks that you're on a date on a train. <laughs>
1: God, <laughs> but but is that something uh, that you face as uh, as uh, as a woman? Like is, is that a is there a man a woman kind of thing? Does that happen often?
0: Or? Yeah, I mean sometimes when you're, I reckon it's happened a couple of times where you're just trying to interview someone and then you're like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, you think that, uh, no, like, that's not, we need to shut this down. Like, this is is my job that I've got a microphone. It's not, yeah, that does happen. Yeah. Look, not all the time, (laughs) but it's it's definitely uh, something that, like, a lot of women journalists face I think you're like I'm not interested like because it's quite an intimate thing interviewing people right so like often you are asking some of the same questions that you would on a date or you would if you're interested in someone romantically and I think that if because I wasn't I hadn't been doing it very long I mean I that was literally my first story so I had no skills in sort of like setting the boundaries of an interview um I was just kind of like do you want to be interviewed on this train about what you're doing on the train, you know, like I wasn't <laughs> I would someone. and like something that I've learned now is that when you're interviewing people, it can be really useful to like use your equipment and like use kind of the trappings of being a radio journalist to signal to everyone that you're doing a story. Like I, I'll have my headphones on and I'll have my big wind sock out. And you know, like you kind of want to look like you're not there yeah. for a normal reason. <laughs> But at the time, I was like really? trying to be as unobtrusive as possible. So I was just like sitting in the corner with my little recorder and yeah, trying not to bother anyone, but also make a story somehow. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> but yeah, like I've, uh, it would happen less now because of this. I've learned how to, how to signal to people that I'm there to interview them. But um, yeah, it was just an unfortunate thing to happen straight up, straight out of the gate.
1: yeah but it's interesting that you say that because i've I've always felt that you know this long-form audio content allows us to dive deeper and slow down and engage more with topics that we want right and you, you talk you spoke about a giant pool of money and the last time you mentioned it to me i just immediately listened to it and i fell in love with the entire thing the format how they had excerpts of people who were uh, the ones who lost their homes and excerpts from people who were in Wall Street actually making up these financial securities and stuff. So, you know, and I believe that as a medium, uh, maybe we've just, you know, stumbled upon something that could, that is still something you're consuming digitally, but it's still a digital detox because your mind is not continuously engaging with uh, a visual medium, but it's actually engaging its uh, imaginative prowess. So, you know, you have something that you're consuming, but at the same time, you're slowing down, you're diving deeper. And especially in today's world, I think it's very, very relevant.
0: Yeah. Isn't it clever? Like I love about that story. Something I really still love about it is the way that I've, cause I've never, I mean, I obviously care about the global financial crisis, but I'd never um, felt emotionally connected to it in any way and I think that I'd also never understood it and somehow in in that, you know, one hour of radio I'm able to care about it and understand it because of the way they told that story and there's something about it having Yeah. Having those characters and hearing from their voices, like hearing the stories in their own voices, um, people from all who played all sorts of roles in it. And then also like the way that they used those characters and used those people to teach you about what was involved and why things went wrong and kind of talk about it in ways that I understood as someone who's not very economically literate, that was like really helpful as well. So Yeah, it's really clever. And it is like, it is a slowdown. I think that sometimes um, because there are so many podcasts coming out at the moment, and it's like my job to listen to them. I do feel like it it can be the opposite. You feel like you're kind of flooded with all this information, but um, kind of remembering that to listen to an hour of uh, content, to listen to an hour of journalism on any sort of topic is like, what a luxury that is. And that's possible now. Whereas uh it's really rare that I will spend I'll sit down for an hour and read an article um or sit down for half an hour and, and read an article and read it from beginning to end and not be distracted or want to flick into another tab or check Twitter or something. Whereas audio, it's letting me do that every day, you know, that's kind of how I get my a lot of my news and a lot of um that long form stuff as well. So it is, I mean it's better than nothing, <laughs> which is like maybe yeah, the alternative. I don't think I've spent that long with a story outside of audio for a really long time, except for books, I suppose.
1: So you mentioned that your uh, career choices were not deliberate, and so uh, and you always wanted to be a print journalist. What's your takeaway for for people who are tuning in and uh, you know they, they haven't really found what it is they're looking for, or they haven't really found where their inclination lies. But i working on, you know, valid projects. So what, what would be your thoughts for them?
0: I think that sometimes the things that you're doing, it's about valuing what you're doing right now. Like there's always something about what you're doing right now that's going to be useful down the track when you finally kind of find your feet. A career that's within the realm of your passion. Like I think it can be easy to feel like you're working in some sort of tangential place that isn't giving you any skills. But whether or not it's like communication skills or pro- project management skills, or like things that I learnt ten years ago now working at a local council, I'm using now to you know things about production schedules and um, funding applications and budgeting their skills that I'm drawing on now, are producing podcasts, like they're things that have helped my podcast production because there's no, none of those structures that radio stations have for producing stuff. You kind of have to start from scratch, you know, and we're kind of developing it as we go, developing our own ways, our own ways of managing workflow and things like that within podcasting from the beginning and kind of like drawing on the best of, of radio and the best of TV and the best of events and things like that. So they're all skills that like I felt like they were a distraction from um from where I wanted to be. But actually that's the stuff that's like enabled me to do this sort of work. And also I guess being open open to like if you have some some sort of goal in your mind, like being open to it changing is really it's kind of exciting. Like I I guess um yeah, like this is I couldn't have had being a podcaster or doing, like, journalism long-form narrative podcasts as a goal in my mind when I was, you know, 10 years ago because that job just didn't exist. Like, there was a few people doing that in the States. But I don't even think – I mean, podcasting full-time, that would have been really rare for someone to be doing when I when I graduated and for me to have that as a goal. So, um, yeah, I think having – being open to your goals changing is pretty exciting too. Like it's an exciting thing to think about because, you, yeah, I guess like you nothing's a waste of time and some of the stuff that I felt at the time, it's hard cause you watch everyone around you, right, like doing all these things that you feel like they're all <laughs> they're all on the path and following their dream and doing things one after the other to get there and you can kind of paint a really neat path of how other people are doing things from the outside. But you're like, you'd like you never know enough about someone's story to know how purposeful any of that is and how um, like how planned out it is and it's just never as straightforward when you're inside it. So, yeah, I think like just counting, like valuing all the skills you're gathering along the way and all the skills that you're getting even if it feels like you're not moving forward or something like that.
1: Got it. And uh, uh, I think it's very, very easy to, you know, look at someone and say that, you know, they're so put together. or Oh, look at them, like they're an overnight success. But what about the 10 years of work they put in before that?
0: Totally. And I, like, it's really easy for me to, if I wanted to, like, paint a nice narrative of my career, it's really easy, which, like, sometimes it's tempting to do when, you're like trying to impress people right so it's like if I want to paint the neat narrative of my career it's like Jess started in radio when she was 15 and she worked across community radio and commercial like if I'm writing a bio it's really easy for me to be like paint this picture where I always knew what I wanted to do you know and then she took those skills and became a podcast producer but uh, like it wasn't that at all and it kind of like takes out of it like the years I spent interning for film festivals and like the times that I, like the way that for, like there was a lot about that sort of instant journalism where you'd have to just call and like cold call people, you know, one after the other really quickly after something terrible had happened to them. Like I found that really hard. And like, I know everyone finds that hard, but um, it wasn't something that made work enjoyable for me and it wasn't something that I could do. It Like it took me, a lot more effort than a lot of other young journalists to do. Um, like I just couldn't physically make those calls sometimes, and it would end up in like it would end up bad for journalism, <laughs> bad for the news. So, um, like it kind of discounts trying stuff and failing, um, and it also kind of yeah it makes invisible like all the times that I've sat on the internet and you know Googled master's courses in disaster management. <laughs> I'm like this is it getting out of the game so yeah like I think you know there was I had my dream job a few years ago and I spent like three months of like my hypothetical dream job which I won't name because they might hear it but um I like I spent three months while I was working in that job uh like looking into becoming a landscape architect which is bizarre and I think like wow. on paper it can look like it can look like you've got it all mapped out and you're doing this thing after this thing after this thing but yeah like all that stuff's hidden where you're like oh I'm gonna go try and I was really happy when I was producing that gardening show so I'm gonna become a landscape architect <laughs> <laughs> The landscape architects I know make really good money. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think it's like, it's easy to look at other people and think they have this neat narrative, but it's, um, it's pretty certain that they don't, it's pretty certain that they've also, um, like had doubts and explored other things and took the long way around to getting there. Um, and maybe that's good. Like it probably makes you better at it. And it means you've got friends outside of your industry, which like for production, like for, uh, people who sort of deal in stories I think is really essential because otherwise you just start operating in an echo chamber and yeah there's heaps of good things about it I think
1: yep and I would uh, love to kind of dive into that part where you said that you don't want to be in an echo chamber and you always need a little bit of diversity of thought because yeah, you know I, I think the way that uh, community and people are uh, moving towards these days is that no one can even have a conversation with someone else who they disagree with or they have an issue with. But you know, I, I think it's so important that, you know, we have this diversity of thought and you know, contrarian views, so that we're at least able to appreciate what the other side view is. And as content creators, I think it'll it'll help round us better and you know, tell better stories because we're able to bring in more perspectives to the-
0: Yeah, it's hard because you like with this sort of fragmented media i can just i could get away with only listening to podcasts that i 100 percent agree with and love and you know agree with the host on everything right if i don't if i don't want to consume something that um that sort of challenges me in any way I, i could totally get away with that because of how media works now but um yeah, I think, I mean, especially in Sydney and Melbourne, in Australia, it is really easy to just stick, stick within a small circle of people who do similar things that you do. Who And, it, like, that community, I really value that community, like that sort of maker community. But there are sort of other ways to, there are other communities to engage with that also make your, I guess, in this case, audio stronger and make your story stronger. And I think it's really important to have... Um, yeah like connections outside of outside of audio because it is in australia at least it's made by like a specific class of people in a lot of ways and a specific uh, yeah i guess like it's it's quite an urban um, thing to make as well podcasts like there are lots in regional australia but it's still something the communities kind of gather within sydney and melbourne so yeah it's really hard to um, kind of recognise that as well and to but then i guess on a creative level like recognise how that's affecting your story storytelling and recognize how it's affecting the creative stuff that you're putting out and then that feeds into it more (laughs) so yeah like it's it's a weird one like I really value the connections I have with people from where I'm from from Port Macquarie and I guess connections from other parts of my life when I mean, my partner's a journalist as well. So like a lot of our friends are within journalism, but then, you know, having friends who make furniture and, you know, are musicians and things like that as well. Just my stories are never going to come from um, my journalism friends because they're all hoarding them for themselves, right? Like no one's going to be like, this great thing happened to me. (laughs) You should do a story on it because they all want to do it themselves. So for like creative, for storytelling, like you need to keep keep up those connections and like actively seek out people who um, look at things in different ways to you and have experiences outside of your own because otherwise you've just got to make, you know, make content about yourself all the time and about people like you, which is like really boring or become kind of like weirdly voyeuristic and just like jump in and out of places, which is also not good. So yeah, there's like other ways to be part of communities, I think, that aren't, um, you know, just podcaster communities or just um, journalism communities and talk about other things. Like going to that writers festival was huge for me. Like that changed my whole career. But I think that another thing that's really useful is going to like environmental conferences or going to, you know, getting into disaster management. I'm not about to quit my job and work in disaster management, but like being interested in those other things is, yeah, like it can be a really useful thing because- it just like feeds your creativity more than, you know, writing another book about writing a book.
1: So we were discussing about how, uh, you know, when we're making podcasts, the when we're doing anything creative, the expectation that we have from ourselves or even with clients, if you're working with clients, is that something comes out really quickly. But the truth is that, you know, you kind of need to do something to get your creative juices flowing and that creative work is typically slow. So what, what do you think of that?
0: Yeah, totally. Like, so there's always this part and I guess it's really, it's true in every project, but like it's particularly true when it's just noticeable when we're working with clients because you have to map out your project along like a timeline and, you know, say this this will take this long and this bit will take this long. Um, and I think it's really, you always allocate time for like, I guess, coming up with the ideas and there are different processes you use to to like, force the ideas out, right? But, yeah, I think there's just no way to um there's just no way to guarantee like some days you'll wake up and it'll just pop out and it'll come on the page like it'll come right out and be like yep there we are that's the idea but other times like you need to go for a walk in the bush and or you need to like go for a swim or something like that and that's where the idea is going to occur to you and I think that it's really easy not to leave space like it's really hard to leave that space in your life Um, especially when you've got all these timelines that say, you know, this is your day for coming up with the idea or whatever. It's really hard to allow that space and not just like sit at a computer screen and freak out and like, yeah, it's a big part of the creative life is trying to create time to think without, like without letting yourself off the hook, like (laughs) without giving yourself too much time. Right. And then going like, oh, right. I've just procrastinated or distracted myself. Um, And it's hard, like, with I find it really hard with um, I have my phone with me all the time and that's where, like, all the articles I haven't read are on and all the podcasts I haven't listened to are sitting on and things like that. So, you know, where all my friends live because I can text them and, you know, message them at any time and talk to them about, you know, it's where I do my grocery shopping. So there's always something to do, like, with my phone right there and or something I haven't done. And so to find ways to, like, come up with ideas or another one is like writing. Like when, you, when you've when you got a blank page that's a script and it needs to turn into a podcast episode um, and a lot of the stuff that I'm working on at Audiocraft is sort of scripted podcasting and so you've got to um, – it's usually that first bit that takes – like the creative juice out of you which is kind of breaking the back of the story like getting the story beats down on the page and working out the order to tell things in and moving the interviews you've got around so that they are easy to listen to and people kind of push people through the story and that stuff like takes some thinking time and it's really hard to it can feel wrong to like justify it to yourself even to go like you look at what you've got at the end of the day and you go, oh, I've written like five words or something, but it's not, it's not wasted time. It's like time that you feel that you've spent percolating on those ideas. And yeah, it's like a real challenge for me because a lot of the festival part of my work is like, go, go, go. Um, And then to switch gears (laughs) and go, Like, there's also really big creative parts of, of that work. And then to switch gears and um, try and do that, like, generating new ideas and generating beautiful writing or you know good creative audio editing like that's the stuff that happens at like a weirdly different pace so yeah it's a challenge I don't think I've like nailed it yet (laughs) like I still feel quite guilty when I you know I'm gonna go for a bushwalk to think like that feels really indulgent to do even if it is technically work like it's technically um yeah I'm doing it for work right
1: absolutely yeah. So, uh, just as we as we come to the uh, to the end uh, far end of the episode, uh, I just want to ask you uh, how, it, how it was to be on the Passion People podcast, and uh, if you had any closing uh, thoughts.
0: It's really nice. It's nice. I love talking to you, and it's always it always makes me think about. I guess, about, like, my own process and kind of, because we all kind of tell ourselves lies about how we work as well. <laughs> and I'm, like, talking about it, you know. <laughs> talking about it really, like, forces you to think about, like, yeah, how do I, um, you know, how do I do this and how is it, you know, how do I do this as my job? And because it's, I don't know, having a, a passion turn into a job is a really weird thing. Like, it's a really weird privilege and a really, like, uh I don't know. It's hard cuz it's uh a job but it's also like the thing that I love doing most, right? So right, right. um yeah, it's really cool to talk about it um and like reflect on uh, yeah, on like why, though like the whys and the hows of it, right? And right. yeah, it's kind of like creatively fulfilling in itself just talking about that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it's been really great.
1: Fantastic. And uh thank you so much for uh... Being so honest with your story and uh, giving our listeners a real perspective into, you know, how, how to go about things and, you know, uh, and running us through your journey. It's, uh, it, it's been a great conversation.
0: Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm really like on it.
1: <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for tuning into the show. We appreciate you taking the time out for this. If you like what you heard, please share this with a few friends and leave a review rating on your favorite podcaser. This will help more people learn about the podcast. Until next time, this is Kritika from the Passion People podcast, wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Stay passionate. Cheers.